electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Tonight on Fast, a red alert. Your first guest saying there is much more pain ahead for the major averages and maybe your money. Just how much further he says some stocks can fall and what moves he is making right now. The apes getting silent. Shares of AMC completing their round trip back to Earth. So, is this the end of the Reddit revolution? Plus, oil and gas burning hot again. Energy once again outperforming the overall market. But after this big run, really? Just how much gas is left in the tank? Welcome, everybody. This is Fast Money. I am clearly not Melissa. I'm Brian. She'll be back soon. Tonight's trader lineup, perfect for a big market day like today. And that is Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Jeff Bills, and Dan Nathan. All right. We have got a lot of really interesting stories and pieces of news to get to. Let us begin with the macro markets and your money. Another tough day for big tech. The Nasdaq getting whacked down more than 2.5%, now at its lowest level since October. The index now down more than 10% since its November record. The S&P and the Dow also dropping sharply to begin their trading week. Random but interesting, 109 S&P 500 stocks are now down 20% or more from their recent highs, meaning roughly... 20% of that index is, technically speaking, in a bear market. There are two big reasons for the sell-off and the shift. Number one, earnings and guidance overall have been great. Also, of course, inflation. The spike in 10-year yields. Borrowing costs, they are going up, up, up. Big tech usually gets hit hard as rates rise because valuations are higher. Look at the moves lower. Names like Meta, Alphabet, and Microsoft. So let's start there, Guy Adami. More losses for big tech. The names that I don't need to remind you or the viewers control all the major indexes and most of the major ETFs. Anything you look at that says we can find some support and right quick. Well, I love that random but interesting. I mean, somebody should do a segment on that on a show. It'd be brilliant. Um, Listen, can you find support? Absolutely. I mean, obviously, you mentioned some of the names There are other names that are down 25 to 30 percent. Their, their businesses haven't changed. The only thing that's really changed is this landscape that you set up the show with, and that's rising rates. You know, I'll go to my danger Will Robinson section of the show, and I find it in the form of two things, Brian. The Russell Small Cap Index, which theoretically should be off to the races in a rising interest rate envi- environment, suggesting that the economy is doing better than most economically sensitive names. No! We are now below that 210 huge support level. Keep an eye on that. And the XRT also testing huge support around 80. Those are things you need to watch. Now, will we find support in those names that you just mentioned? Yes. But the generals are the last to go, as Carter Worth says. And we haven't seen that sell off in Apple yet at all. Yeah. You know, Tim, the Nasdaq closing below its 200-day moving average for the first time since April 21st of 2020. That was, of course, that massive pandemic-led sell-off over a couple of weeks. So a lot of the comps that we're starting to compare now to, not only just with this, but oil prices, whatever, are starting to go back pre-pandemic. 
Yeah, this was not turnaround Tuesday. This was this was turned down Tuesday. And if you think about the triple Qs or the Nasdaq 100 or or the leadership, which uh, has been pointed out already tonight, it has actually underperformed the S and P by about eight percent in the last six weeks. But if you look at the Nasdaq and and where it had not hit the 200 day really since go all the way back to to June of 2019 if you really wanted to you know, throw the pandemic out the window and and really then before that was back to uh, August or September of 2018 which really hit its peak mm. around the Fed you know moving higher on interest rates and again we know what happened at the end of the year in 2018 and I I just think today's move is as much about that that parade of, of Fed stars that that spoke out on Thursday um, and I think you know the short end of the curve is more more interesting than the long end of the curve, frankly. Look what they did to the two-year note, over uh, over 1% for the first time in a couple of years. You have a case here where, uh, again, we heard on Thursday whether it was, you know, three, three bid, four offered, four, four bid, five offered. I mean, those are the rate hike scenarios that we're suddenly now equating in 2022, not 23, uh, at least based upon the Fed that spoke the other day. Um, whether the Fed can actually execute on that, I think is really the big test because they can say all they want. Uh, and we've been wanting the Fed to at least give you some indication that they were going to do this a long time ago. Uh, and it's an asset bubble that I think ultimately will still support value, cyclical, commodities, and even banks. And I know we're going to talk about them in the next mm-hmm. block, but the divergence between banks um, and, and you know, what I think the fundamentals are, is, especially as rates go higher, is probably creating an opportunity. You know, Dan, obviously, Tim, hitting on the rate story, a massive part of it. I do wonder, though, looking at notes, listening to sort of analysts, strategists, the earnings that we are seeing have not been that great. The guidance from companies have not been that great. Delta Airlines, some of the big banks, which we'll get to in the next block. I know rates are sort of getting all the blame and attention. Is there something else at work here, though? Uh, yeah, it's decelerating growth and, and what we're willing to pay for it, I guess, is really the thing. You know, we're anniversarying these really easy comps year over year. If you think about 2021, uh, what they were compared to in 2020, we had this black hole in 2020. So listen, you know, with rates going up, it didn't take a whole heck of a lot to get investors to revalue some of the largest growth names in the market. And we've been seeing this. We've been talking about it on the show for months and months. It feels like a year where the highest valuation, the highest highest growth, but the kind of least profitable sort of names were getting killed. And it wasn't just high growth tech. Look at what's down. Crypto is down about 40%. And those are the big ones. Some of the other ones are down. Look at what's going on in SPAC land. It's devastation. So, you know, there's been a lot of really bad action under the hood. I'll just say this. The question that you asked Guy, um, you know, what do you go to? Where's support? Well, you know, look at Microsoft. It's down about 10% from its all-time highs. There's more room to go. If it gets back to 280, which would be a great technical support level, probably a very reasonable valuation level, that's where you want to buy that. I'm going to play a little game. Guy says 157 in Apple. That would be a down at least 15% from its recent highs. Amazon, if you see that below 3,100, near 3,000 support. Google, Alphabet, near 2,500. Then you have 15 to 20% peak to trough declines from the biggest names in the market. And then you know what you do, Brian? You buy the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, because those four stocks make up over 30% of the weight. And we know about the devastation in the index and all those other names that are down 50, 60%. So to me, that's the trade. You're probably going to have that opportunity to buy the NASDAQ 100, probably five, six, seven percent lower over the next few weeks. You, you know, I, Dan's making such a good point, Jeff. I feel like, and I'm going to 
bear with me here. I'm going to talk a little Tom Brady because I feel like the market is a little Tom Brady-ish, right? For 20 years or however long he's been playing in the NFL, whenever he's down in a big game, you sort of expect him to come back. Call it the Derek Jeter market if you want. You think, don't worry, they're going to come back. I do. And by the way, the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, every time it's been down, 2018, 2020, 2014, it has come back to Dan's point. We're right on that 200-day moving average. Do you feel like it's going to be kind of a Brady goat market? Yeah, that investors is going to buy him again. It'll make a comeback. Listen, Sully, I don't really want to talk about Tom Brady after what he did to my Eagles this weekend. It's a little bit of a sore spot, but I, I do see where you're going with that. And I tend to agree, and Dan kind of stole my thunder a little bit, where I think what's going on right now in the market actually creates an opportunity in big, big tech. I think it's going to take a little bit more time to actually play out, but I think we get back into, say, sometime in the second quarter, and all of a sudden you're going to start to see data decouple from the rising rate and four to five rate hike expectations that the market's currently pricing in, then I think you're going to have a big opportunity to buy the Microsofts, the Googles, the Apples of the world, you know, possibly down 10% or more from where they are today. But I do think that that's going to take time. You know, you have the narrative of maybe we're going to get a 50 basis point hike in March. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. But I think that's starting to seep into investor psychology. You know, bond yields usually peak when positioning gets extreme. We haven't really seen that yet. You know, flows into TLT aren't that weak. So usually you need to see weak flows there, people betting on rising rates to see a big peak in rates. So I think we still might have a little bit more room to go on the upside of rates. And that's why I think technology is still a risk to the market. So on Friday, we talked about this risk from the top issue, and I think it's still there. You have the percentage of NASDAQ 100 stocks above their 200-day moving average, somewhere around 50% right now. So pretty weak internals. And in prior corrections in the NASDAQ, we've had a lot better breadth under the surface to support the overall market. So I still see risk there. You know, we always talk about Microsoft, maybe the most important stock in the market. Yeah. You know, I think there's probably more room to go on the downside. And then Facebook, Google, you know, sort of just getting to that 200-day moving average. So, you know, for me, I don't think it's going to be enough to prop up the index over the next couple of months. Staying with football, Guy, listen, we saw what happened to Jalen Hurts, I mean, and, and Kyler Murray last night. I mean, these young quarterbacks having a tough time. And I bring it up for this reason, not to talk football. People ask me what's the greatest market risk right now. I say, listen to Guy, Dami, Tim, Dan, and Jeff and others. But I will say this, <laughs> that there are probably 30 to 40% of hedge fund managers and investment advisors who have never managed client money in a rising rate or inflationary environment. Because you got to go back 10 years to really find that extended period. And guess what? You get out of college at 23, 24, you're 34, 35 years old now. You have never, ever run money in a rising rate environment. And I wonder if it's going to be that, that do, they, do people just make mistakes because it's a new thing? It is the eagle. Sorry. It's a great. No, listen, I mean, Jeff Mills, and not to, again, cast aspersions, the Eagles were playing in the metaverse this weekend instead of playing on a football field, which is problematic uh, in today's NFL. Maybe a decade or so, that'll be fine. I'll say this, and just to sort of build upon what you just said, if you believe in the mantra, don't fight the Fed, that's typically, you know, when we're talking about the Fed adding liquidity, and by fighting the Fed, you're being bearish. Well, by fighting the Fed now, if you think about it, when they've completely turned course correctly, by the way, in my opinion, by being bullish now, you're effectively fighting the Fed. And to answer your question, many of the participants in the market 
have never had to fight the Fed on this side of the equation. By the way, maybe this market is yep. more Virginia Tech of a decade or so ago when they were everybody's darling, only to fall into obscurity the last eight or ten years. I think Guy Dami's audio is going to go. Guy, there? Anyway, okay, just quickly before I go to Dan Suzuki, punching me in the <laughs> gut, Dami. It hurt. It's true. It only hurts because it's true. Tim Seymour, is there anything to that, though? You get the point. Like, this, is, this could be a completely different macroeconomic environment, rising inflation, rising rates, than anything we have seen in more than a decade. All right, deep breath. I mean, this, it's deep breath time on this show. I, I, I think, look, you know, I say this all the time. More Fed equals more volatility. The last time you had central banks around the world trying to take liquidity out of the market was 2018. That was the last you know, down year for markets. But, uh, I, you know, at, at some point, there's a limit to what the Fed can truly do. There's also a dynamic here. Look, um, we really truly get past Omicron, and, and I think markets really properly reopen. We have global cyclicality. Do you think the, the economy is going to be significantly weaker uh, when we remove this headwind? I don't. Um, and I think you have a case here. Again, we're not through the 200-day on the NASDAQ. We could. You know, we could test it. Uh, and as I said, we haven't really properly done that when you remove Omicron to, all the way back to 2019. But uh, I do think, you know, look at a Lululemon with a 20 RSI, a Nike with a 20 RSI, a Restoration Hardware with a 17 RSI. Again, these are relative strength indicators for people who don't know what that means. It just means that things are oversold. And they can yeah. be uh, quickly, you know, that can change very quickly. But I, I will point out that there's been a dramatic move here, and I don't expect this guy to come falling tomorrow. All right, well, that's good news. Some comfort there, that, that deep breath moment, as you said. All right, let's move on. Your next guest sees more pain, though, ahead for tech stocks. Dan Suzuki is the Deputy Chief Investment Officer at Richard Bernstein Advisors, and he joins us now. Dan, you just heard our commentary. Tim saying, let's take a deep breath, everybody. And by the way, let's, let's do that. We're, don't, we're only back to three-month lows. We're still triple where we were five or six years ago. But what do you see as the main risks to this market right now? Yeah, first of all, Brian, <clears throat> I think um, I've been nodding my head like the whole segment so far. Um, I agree with a lot of the comments being made. Um, and, and, you know, just to be clear, you know, I think that, you know, we'll get into the risks. And I think tech is a risk. But, you know, we've had such a tremendous move. Um, a lot of this has been driven by the move faster in rates. I mean, you look, we've seen this movie before. These things don't go in straight lines. So I wouldn't be surprised at some point, you know, to see a little bit of uh, a reversal here. But I think when you get back to the real risks, not just that are going to define your portfolios over the next, you know, six months, but if you just think over the next 10 years, you know, the key risks that are going to define your portfolios, I think really, you know, come down to how are you going to position, you know, relative to the bubble we're seeing in markets and how are you going to position relative to, you know, interest rates. I think those are the key risks that investors need to be, you know, focused on their portfolios. And I think there's both of those represent huge risks that still we haven't even really scratched the surface on what those are going to do to people's portfolios. So what do we do then? Give us some advice, actionable advice, Dan. Yeah, I think if you if you look back, I mean, the, probably the most comparable period, you know, obviously with a lot of differences was was the tech bubble, you know, to what we're seeing today. If you look back then, I think there's a couple, you know, important takeaways. First of all, 
you know, the first takeaway is it's never too early to sell. Now that you feel like an idiot when you're selling, you know, as an example, tech stocks were basically doubled, you know, the last year of, of the tech bubble, but it didn't matter. I mean, if you if you were out during the crash, you made your money back uh, hand over fist, you know, by being out of that risk in the markets on a one-year basis, three-year basis, five-year basis, it didn't really matter. You know, so that was the key that is never too early to sell the bubble. The second big takeaway is true with all bubbles. The only way to protect from a bubble is to get away from it. I mean, there's there's a lot of people out there advocating that you can buy, you know, move into the steady cash flow names, the subscription names, the the cheaper names, the the established leaders, the future technology winners. But if you go back and look at how that worked in the tech bubble, they all went down. If you think about, it, there were 63, I think, stocks in the tech sector at the peak of the market during the tech bubble. Basically, they all underperformed. They all went down more than the market. Even if you think about future winners like Amazon, Amazon was down 96%. And it wasn't the exception. It was the rule. Hey, Dan, Jeff Mills here. I think, you know, really important question with so many investors getting, you know, passive exposure to the broad market. Can the broad market continue to rise without technology at its back? You know, it's, I think it's a really good question, Jeff. And, and you know, I'd say in the near term, you know, it probably can, but I think, you know, the reality is, you know, I think there's massive downside risk. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about a bubble in what you could argue, you know, reaches out across, you know, almost 50% of the market. So it's hard to think that you're going to see a bubble deflate in that, you know, huge portion of the market without it taking down the overall indices. So I, I completely agree that, you know, when the bubble does collapse, you know, it's going to take down the major indices away from it. That's not to say that there aren't opportunities. You know, what happens in a bubble, like people focus on the negative, you know, but it creates vacuums and scarcities of capitals in other parts of the markets. We have a saying at RBA, returns are greatest when capital is scarce. You create massive scarcities of capital, and I think that's where the opportunity is. So, yes, you want to be careful when owning the broad market, but I think there are areas of the market. I mean, just think, during the tech bubble, small cap value stocks were up over 40% when the market was collapsing. These are all good points and almost deep breaths in their own way. Dan Suzuki, Richard Bernstein Advisors. Dan, we appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Dan Nathan, your take on what Dan Suzuki had to say. Yeah, no, I, Dan, I like that he agreed with all of us. I will say this. Um, if you've been watching Fast Money, I'm sure our Twitter's lighting up. They're saying, oh, the Fast Money bros are all negative here. I think that the reasons that we've been negative of late and maybe some less than others is all the reasons why the market's going down right now. Um, and so, you know, all the stuff that kind of creates volatility, to Tim's point, is going up. We have a rising dollar. We have rising rates. And, you know, if you go back again to that last time where Fed funds in late 2018 got to two and a half percent. You know where we are right now? We're basically zero, okay? And so we're starting to see this volatility. If the Fed were to kind of aggressively start to hike, then you will see the stock market. You will see the S&P 500 down 20%. And you know why I know that? I don't need to be so certain about that, but we had that happen in a great economy back in 2018. And I don't think we're in a great economy. I think we're an economy that's been propped up by trillions of dollars of stimulus, both monetary and fiscal of late. And the value 
valuations in almost every risk asset that has not been bolted down has gone haywire. So we are due for a correction of that sort of sentiment. So that's what's going on right here. I don't think anyone needs to panic. And Dan's point is like, you know, you can sell now, you can sell there. Stocks are not going down 96%. It's not, it's not 1999. It's not 2000. But one thing that might be really healthy is a correction of 10, 15, maybe 20%. Put a little fear back in risk asset holders. And that's probably what happens here in the first half of 2022. A little tough love in the market, Dan Nathan. Thank you. All right, we have got a lot more to do. Coming up, a bank breakdown. Goldman Sachs getting hit as earnings disappoint primarily on higher expenses. We'll hit more on why the big banks are spending some big bucks. Plus, the deal of the year so far, Microsoft buying Activision for over $68 billion. So are there any other game plays out there for your money? We're going to hit on that and more when Fast Money returns right up. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Goldman Sachs investors got a bit of a gut punch today. Shares, they fell 7%. You had earnings disappointing in part because of higher expenses. In other words, they got to pay more to keep that top talent. So get ready. Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, and other big banks are on deck to report their earnings later on this week. So, Tim Seymour, how do you read it? How should we look at these names heading into their earnings? Well, I, I think this is an overreaction, um, I, but I, I think we expected banks to have some trouble going into earnings season. Look, banks are still up 10 percent or so uh, on average between the money center banks, more than that in terms of the regionals um, coming into these prints. So uh, I think J.P. Morgan's report after these numbers was, was don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and, and again, if you look at those numbers, they were, they were excellent numbers. And if we look at uh, you know, more of the investment bank-focused banks, of which Goldman still is, even though they've evolved over the years slowly, it, it, it's really a case where capital markets remain very strong, where I, I think their, their sales and trading business, um, while down a bit, is still very strong. And if you look at, uh, again, it, it's banks relative to themselves, I think, um, not relative to the rest of the market that has people a little concerned now. So in other words, we know they're cheap. We know they're cheap to the market. Are they cheap to themselves? Well, yeah. Goldman Sachs at you know, 1.1 times tangible book, um, hardly expensive even relative to itself, in my view. And I'm loving deep breath Seymour today because, Jeff Mills, the average bank stock, the median return this year in like two weeks is an 18% gain. 
Let's be clear. Goldman Sachs is not a bank. We call it a bank. It's an investment bank. It trades. They're not taking real deposits here. I'm looking at M&T up 18%, Wells Fargo up 18%. Companies that do, I called it in WEX this morning, boring but sexy, because they just take money and make loans. Those banks are doing great. We've got to separate how we, we use the term bank, do we not? Yeah, I think that that's exactly right. And if you look at the way just large banks versus, say, regionals are trading, I think it's, it's very, very clear what's going on here. Even before earnings, if you looked at J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Citi, you know, none of these large banks broke out to new all-time highs versus, say, a PNC or a Truist or some of these regional or even community banks. That's really where the momentum's been, I think, for the very reason that you just mentioned. And even look at, so, KBW Bank ETF versus the KBE. The KBW far more weighted toward these large cap banks versus the KBE equally weighted. A lot more regionals in there. You saw the way they <laughs> traded on Friday with the KBE outperforming. Same thing happened today. So I think there's a lot to what you're talking about. And just to button up that point, you know, if you look at, say, the Blackstones of the world or Black Rocks of the world, you know, if my thesis plays out that later in the year you see interest rates actually back off a little bit, you know, those are the names that are going to win, and those are the names that have been losing by a lot. You know, you throw in there S&P Global, CME Group, some of those non-bank financials I think could be really interesting as you push in the second half of the year when the Fed is unable to do what the market's currently pricing in. Tim, your take on the banks, or uh, Guy, rather, sorry. Tim, Guy, at its zenith which is a great word that's not used nearly often enough. You know, J.P. Morgan was trading close to 2.6 times tangible book. And I think what's happened here to button up our earlier conversation from the first block, valuations are starting to matter. So when J.P. Morgan comes out and reports tangible book of $71, I think people are doing that math and what's the right valuation. If you think it's two times, then basically you have $142 stock. But I don't think you have you know, a stock that was trading north of 170 or so. And I think that's what's going on. I will mention quickly that these insurers, look at Pru, came within a whisper today of a 52-week high and then sold off late. I mean, names that are really uh, sensitive to higher rates, I think will continue to do well. I think you'll find that in the insurers. Guy, thank you. All right, it has been a very busy Tuesday so far, but we have much more to come. And here's what's coming up on Fast next game on some huge moves in the video game space as microsoft nabs activision for more than 68 billion dollars so is it time to level up on the names plus big energy oil hitting a seven-year high so can this trade keep pumping higher there's much more fast money coming up picture this you're on a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. We've had many conversations over the years about various forms of collaboration. And as we've started to see the real competition, we're sort of at the beginnings of what the metaverse will be like. And in that race for the metaverse, it started to become apparent that there were a variety of resources and talent that we needed in order for us to be able to continue on that journey. That was Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick this morning on CNBC discussing that company's nearly $70 billion buyout by Microsoft. Obviously, the shares soared on the news, but are still down with an 8% since July. That is when the company was hit with a lawsuit alleging numerous accounts of sexual harassment and workplace issues. They laid off more than 12 people over the weekend as well. For more on this deal, though, let's bring in Jeffries, analyst Andrew Urkowitz, who has been bullish and been right on the stock, an $85 target, a buy rating. Obviously, assuming the deal gets closed, Andrew, you got to like it. But are there any other subsidiary plays now that are still left out there? Is this kind of a, a one-off by Microsoft? Yeah, no, I, you know, this first of the deal kind of solidifies the view that interactive media is a very big form media, has lots of growth and, and, you know, it is very real and going to be here, whether it's metaverse or whatever we want to call it. Um, and so, you know, obviously big tech might be interested. Amazon might be interested. They have, they have uh, Twitch or they, they have their own streaming service called Luna, um, you know, and there's a couple other big tech companies, but this has always been thought about for years. And so Microsoft pulling the trigger now kind of validates this entire thesis. And so to me, it's a put up or shut up. If big tech really is interested in, in interactive media, they got to start pulling the trigger on these or Microsoft is going to build such a lead that it'll be too late. Andrew, it's Tim. But, but how about big media uh, worried about, uh, again, the, the, the lead that these companies are going to have on them? So it seems to me that, you know, you look at a Disney or, or you look at uh, even a, a, you know, a Viacom or someone. And again, they probably can't put this kind of a deal together because of their balance sheets right now. But isn't big media more in need of this deal than Microsoft was, who, again, has made some great acquisitions already in this space? Yeah, I mean, big media would definitely fit in there. I only I only talk about big tech because, like, to your point, like it would be difficult to to structure a deal that would probably work. Uh, but no, I mean, it, media, big media would be there. Big tech should be there. Uh, we think there are more potential buyers than supply. Right? There's really only three global, you know, globally scaled companies with strong IP other than Activision, and and so yeah, no, we we think uh, M and A may just be starting. Yeah, go deeper into that if you can, Andrew. I look at Roblox. My son plays it, and I think, you know what? That kind of looks like the metaverse. Maybe Facebook is interested. Excuse me, maybe Meta is interested in yeah. Roblox with their new name. Maybe a Google is interested in an EA or an Apple in a Take-Two Interactive. I mean, what other pair-ups? Just kind of have fun with it. We're not going to hold you to it. Like, what other pair-ups yeah. do you think could happen here? Uh, I mean, Netflix, right? They, they started talking about gaming. Um, if they are serious about gaming, you would think that they would 
try to pair up with somebody. Probably something on the smaller size, wow. simply because you know, simply because they don't normally make big acquisitions. But you could see them uh, acquiring some really good developer, like a CD Projekt or something along those lines. They already have The Witcher. They already have animated series with CD Projekt. Why not add add a game developer to it? You know, um, Discovery has Warner Interactive, and so if you think about old media or traditional big media, maybe they need maybe the other players like the Viacoms of the world. Uh, or Disney would feel like they need a studio to start building the gaming version of the virtual worlds of, of yeah. the IP that they're showing on big screen, small screen. So there are numerous ways to play this. But at the end of the day, yeah, it's it's Activision. It's or it's, sorry, it's Take Two. It's EA, Ubisoft, and 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 France. Uh, Roblox would make sense. Even a Unity might even make sense when it comes to making games. And you got buy ratings, I believe, on all of those. Andrew Erkowitz of Jeffrey's. Great discussion, Andrew. Thank you very much. Dan, you got teenagers, right? Can you see it? You're watching HBO Max. You got Euphoria up here. And then you got maybe a video game stream over here, all on the same platform. Hard to comprehend now, but hey, stranger things have happened. I'm like you, Sully. I'm a girl dad. My girls don't game. Um, so, you know, like I, I would be more like along the lines of what Take Two did with their acquisition of Zynga. You know, maybe mobile social games make some sense here. Um, but I agree, you know, Roblox makes a lot of a big valuation. What are we just talking about? We're talking about valuation compression. So maybe Roblox, maybe Unity at a certain place. Just so you know, um, Roblox was part of my AARP trade in honor of Guy Adami there. Um, and I do like it, but I guess it just comes at the right valuation. Another one's a small one might be skills. Um, you know, so I, listen, I think we're getting to a phase where all of these names are going to kind of get overturned a little bit. People are going to start gaming them out. You see what I did there? Um, and we'll see. I just don't think we're going to see a rush of more M&A right after these two deals over the last two weeks. I, I got, I got it. I, from, a, from a hokey to a Hoya, whatever, I got to give Guy Dami a chance to respond to that. Well, I mean... Hopefully he's about a decade too early in his ARP trade, given my current age. But who knows? Maybe he's spot on. I don't know. What I will say, you know, Jeff Mills has talked about this for a while. I, Roblox could be a name a year from now we're not talking about as a publicly traded company anymore. Somebody's acquired them. And just to throw one more name in this mix, Coinbase has just gotten eviscerated, especially today. But we're at levels of support. And Mark Mahaney has mentioned on numerous times that Coinbase, he believes, will be the bank of the metaverse. So maybe there's a play there in terms of all of this. Got to figure it out. Somehow this is all going to come down to a cannabis trade as well, if you pick up what I'm putting down. I mean, that metaverse is something. All right, coming up, some high-energy trading. Oil hitting a seven-year high. Oil stocks, they're leading the market. So whatever happened to ESG investing? Plus, AM, see you later. Shares slammed. All of its gains since May, now gone. Is there any reason to own this stock again? We'll talk about it coming up. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Well, so much for the SPR release bringing down oil prices. Crude, back to more than seven-year highs. You got demand outstripping supply. You got geopolitical issues heating up in the UAE and Ukraine. And now energy stocks booming this year after years of being ignored or worse, just 
actively hated. So, Tim, what to make of these stocks, these gains right now? Fascinating on, on a day when, when Exxon, the biggest of them all, or seemingly has been, uh, tells you they're going to be carbon neutral by, by 2050. Uh, it's also important, you know, I, I talked about 20 RSIs, and I don't want to make this a technical show, but the other side of that spectrum are energy stocks, which are up 20 to 25 percent this year and are trading at RSIs at 85 to 90, which means, again, that the momentum here, um, and at least technically, uh, maybe even it's just the short term, they are overbought. But you, you, you hit what I've been saying, which is that these are investments, not trades. These are companies that have figured out how to be cash flow positive and, and actually even in a world where oil is significantly lower. Um, you know, Exxon has figured out how to be dividend accretive at $35 oil, I believe, or so they tell us. Um, so again, I think this is a really interesting place uh, for investors to be investing. But look, you've had a very big move. And on the charts, look at a Conoco, look at a Chevron. Um, you've got triple tops that go all the way back to, to 2014 on a couple of these stocks that I think might be a little bit painful in the short run. Yeah, ConocoPhillips actually, Jeff, getting an upgrade today from Goldman Sachs. So they're starting to get some love. And that's kind of the point. You know, it was very easy to be anti-oil and gas and say ESG, whatever, when they were losing money. Now these companies are starting to make money. In some cases, maybe make a lot of money. I guarantee you, we've talked about it before. Clients, investors are going to go to their advisors and say, figure out a way to make these ESG sensitive so I can own them, whether it's environmental stuff like Exxon said today or board changes. Yeah, it's, it's very easy behaviorally to ignore a sector when it's not doing so well. And I agree with Tim, you know, maybe overbought in the near term, you get some consolidation, but I do think there's momentum there for a reason. And you mentioned sort of the supply demand dynamics. I think demand probably continues to grow this year. You've probably only seen two thirds of what was lost in 2020 gain back. So I think you have a situation where global demand can continue to grow. I think spare capacity is somewhat limited. And I actually think ESG, just from a structural perspective, ends up being a tailwind for commodity prices, you know, less access to capital, higher cost of capital. So I, I think you're going to end up having prices do some of the rebalancing here to entice more supply. So when you think about some of the EMP companies or oil services companies, you know, I think there's a pretty good setup there for a stock like Schlumberger, for example. You know, the setup to me looks really good. It's, it's breaking out above that post-COVID high. And if you go out to 2023 earnings, only trading at 14 times. Uh, I talk about EOG in a similar way. So I think there are still opportunities even after the move that we've seen. And your setup Setting up Guy Adami so perfectly with that Schlumberger. I see what he did there, Guy. I don't think that was an accident by the general Jeff Mills just lobbing you a softball with a stock you've been talking about for a while now. Jeff Mills makes no accidents. Everything he does is extraordinarily <laughs> smart and intentional. And, yes, I mean, I agree. Schlumberger, Halliburton, Tim's talked about that for a while. You just look at their revenue growth and their valuation. I mean, you can still make a compelling case that these stocks – have significant room to the upside. And what we haven't even mentioned yet are the geopolitical risks that can make oil go even higher than they are now. And, you know, things with, between Russia and Ukraine don't appear to be getting better anytime soon. And I do think something could happen post-Olympics uh, with China and Hong Kong, all of which would be supportive of energy prices. You know, I thought crude would trade triple digits by the end of 21. That was incorrect. But I think we're going to get there pretty quickly here in 2022. Yeah, Guy, and we had Francisco Blanche of B of A Securities on Worldwide Exchange this morning. He said we are going triple digits uh, probably in the next couple of months or quarters. All right, coming up, 
A painful round trip for many AMC investors. The stock now under $19. This was a $60 stock less than a year ago. So up next, what can AMC, if anything, teach you about the market right now? Plus, the gap gapping down. This after a downgrade at Morgan Stanley. I'll tell you what, an analyst there checking out of the clothing retail. Stick around. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of AMC. They're down again in today's session, off about 8.5%. This drop now, officially wiping out all the gains in the stocks. It's this big run-up and got all that attention last spring. So, Dan, talk to us. I mean, uh, not going to make light of it because a lot of people have lost a, a lot of money. Is there a lesson here from AMC? Yeah, I mean, the lesson is, is that there's really no financial movements in the stock market. It just doesn't, it's never, it's not built that way. And so I know that there is a lot of community that was built in, in the Wall Street bets. And, and I know that there was a lot of people who learned a whole heck of a lot um, and, and were new to the markets, that sort of thing. But, you know, just the guy says it all the time, just because you say you're not selling, it doesn't mean it's not going to go down. And so, you know, when you look at AMC and GameStop, you know, round tripping most of the moves over the last 10 months or so, I mean, GameStop still has a lot of room to go. And I don't know what the story is, whether it's NFTs or this and that, whatever. It just doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of economic sense. So to me, I think the sad thing is that these guys are going to continue likely to go lower and they're dragging a lot of investors who probably that capital would have been a lot more productive in other places. Yeah, Guy, what would you do? You're teaching a class on AMC or some of these meme stocks, right? Years from now. What do you what do you teach? What can we what can we learn from this to avoid making mistakes again? Listen, uh, you know, they they had they won. They had the game beat in the form of both AMC and GameStop with some of the meteoric rises we saw in the stocks. But there was this again. And I've used the term misguided belief that as long as people held the stocks, they couldn't go lower. And they by definition, at some point, would have to go back up. Just look at Adam Aaron. I'm not, again, this is, he's free to do what he wants, and I'm sure all these things were orchestrated in terms of filings, but the man has sold uh, boatloads of stock since November. So to the extent that he's been your fearless leader, he may be, but he's been selling mm -hmm. the stock uh, as quickly as he's able to. So what are the lessons? The lessons are don't steal uh, victory or steal defeat from the jaws of victory, and they were victorious for a long time. And I'm sure a lot of people did make a lot of money. Others hung on in diamond hands. And maybe it'll come back. I mean, the stock could make a comeback. We don't know. All right. Coming up, it is really a tale of two retailers. On one hand, the gap shares down. On the other, coal soaring, but for a specific reason. So jump in, because we're going to go shopping in the retail trade next in Fast Money Returns. All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Hope you're having a great Tuesday. All right, check out our call of the day, prompting some major selling in one mall name. Morgan Stanley downgrading the gap, gap, to underweight from Equate, saying the company is likely to see earnings, erosions, and could continue for the next several years. You got higher costs, Jeff Mills, out there at your mall of Prussia you're hanging out at every weekend. What do you make of that call on gap? 
Yeah, I think some of the stuff Morgan Stanley's talking about is this pull forward in, de in demand. You, you had people basically buy two or three years worth of stuff in one year. So I don't think the consumer is necessarily in bad shape, but you're in a situation where you've had that demand pull forward and then you have inflation, which is still a problem. I think you saw it in some of the lower confidence data last week. And at the margin, consumer demand probably softens as you move through the year, especially as you see this transition from goods to services spending, which I think is going to continue throughout the year. So for me, I still prefer the high end. I think it's a little bit less susceptible to some of the inflation issues that we're talking about. I think you get an opportunity in Lulu, maybe around 300, maybe an opportunity in Nike around 140. So I would prefer to focus there in retail versus some of the lower end names. Tim? Yeah, also, again, right, Jeff points out the bombed-out names that are much higher quality, have certainly a, a lot more uh, insulation around their margins. And if you think about the gap, this was a story, and, and yeah, great for the folks that were bottom fishing kind of near the lows of the pandemic, um, restructured their business, got out of a lot of bad leases, figured out how to do digital business, yes, pulled forward. But look, there's, there's no way you're walking into Gap and spending 60 bucks for a pair of jeans. They, they've, they've trained consumers to walk in there and look for something uh, to be on sale and half price. And in an inflationary environment where discretionary money and stimulus yep. checks are running out, uh, I think they're going to be promotional heavy. And I think this is still a company that struggles with their core brand. Yeah. And also expenses. If you can get the workers, you're paying them a lot. You can't raise your prices, but you got to pay your wages higher. It's a bad combo for profit margins. All right. Meantime, on the other side of the spectrum, Look at Kohl's, that retailer jumping more than 4%. But for this reason, investor Marcellum or Marcellum Advisors renewed its push to shake up that company's board. That news sparking one big options trade that could, could point to some insider activity in the name. Let's bring in Mike Coe to break it down. Mike, what are you seeing in Kohl's? Yeah, so we saw about four times the average daily options volume in Kohl's, and a lot of that was the result of uh, the largest trade, which was actually in the March 52.5-65 call spread. That was actually part of a larger, more complex options trade, and much of that was actually put on only a couple trading days ago, back on the 13th. Now, if you take a look at the 13Fs, what you're going to see is that Legion Partners is actually one of the larger options holders in the name. And Legion's name came up last February when Michelle was first talking about basically taking an activist position in coal. So I think what's going on here is that these guys have been sitting around. They've been waiting to see if there's going to be any action. And then, of course, they had that uh, one year where they were going to sit, sit on the sidelines. And I think these are probably some of the insiders who are basically positioning around the things that they're now talking about. Well, really interesting in KSS. Mike Coe, thank you very much. For more options action, as always, be sure to tune into the full show every Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern, your final trades. Our next. <laughs> 30 seconds for Around the Horn. Kick it off, Tim. Brian, thanks for joining us. J&J, the right company in the right sector for this marketplace. Jeff. Netflix, I think maybe you get to 475, but that valuation is right on top of Disney now. I think it'll be setting up for a big run here. Dan. Yeah, if guys GLD can't go up in this environment, it's never going up again. Maybe try playing it with Call if they look cheap. Guys setting off Hokey Nation Adami. Uh, sorry about that. You know, love Blacksburg, Virginia. Ah, uh, PSX in the energy space. 
Guy, thank you very much. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.